Hi, it's B, and welcome back to another episode of the Therapy Podcast. This is episode seven of season two, Black and Blue. Today is a very special episode. The Black Lives Matter movement seems to have been reignited with the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Rayshard Brooks. Even though they have reignited the Black Lives Matter movement, we are often countered with terms such as all lives matter and blue lives matter. Many people see those as inclusive statements, but the fact of the matter is they aren't. (laughs) When we say black lives matter, we are not saying that other lives do not matter. What we are simply saying is our lives matter. And we feel the need to say that and say it loudly and boldly because between health disparities, racial impressions, and so many other things have shown us that black people and other people of color's lives have not mattered in this world. Today, I'm going to share with you the story of Ms. Guardiola. I'm joined today on the show with her daughter, Alicia Ocasio, as she tells the story of her mother, who is both black and blue, and how she was murdered at the hands of police. Hi everyone, my name is Elisa. Um, I'm 24, I'm from the Bronx, um, and my mom was Sandy Guardiola. Um, she was a 20 plus year veteran from um, corrections and then moves on to become a parole officer in upstate New York. And that is where she faced her, um, I guess her end at the hands of a mm. uh, police officer. Okay, and so what, um... And I believe your mom, your mom was a social worker prior to going into the police force, right? So what um, my mom's history was, she started off at um, corrections in um, the early 90s and, um, you know, worked there for for 10 years through my childhood and then decided that she wanted to do more with her life. Um, So after becoming a single mom... She um, decided to go back to college, went to Queens College, and then worked her way up um, to her master's program at Columbia um, and got her license in social work. Awesome. So I I expect you because I'm a social worker. Right. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So she, it was something that she always used and she she used it since she was a little girl. Um, She didn't have the best childhood growing up in Windsor. In uh, harsh streets, you know, she always wanted to give back to that. She did as a parole officer. Um, Got it. She worked specifically with um, the mental health parolees. Um, so she had a had a special place there. Oh, that's awesome! And I actually always think that it's great that there are mental health sectors of a lot mm-hmm. of um, of should be all now, but I do know here in Maryland and DC that we have also have mental health um, sectors of the police field. Right. Yeah. She was, she was excited to go back into um, law enforcement, you know, finish out her, her tenure there um, and do some good work. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about um, the situation that led up to um, the murder of your mother. Um, so it was October 4th, uh, 2017. It was actually four days after my 22nd or yes, Mm -hmm. my 22nd birthday. Um, she had recently been in a car accident the month prior. 
Um, so she was on medical leave from, from work due to a, a broken rib and a concussion. So oh, um, wow. she was facing Which was some... work-related? No, it wasn't. It, no, no problem. It wasn't oh, okay. work-related. She was just coming home from, I think, the mall and um, got into oh, a bad okay. car accident. Um, but so she had recently transferred out of um, the Rochester, New York office um, due to some workplace harassment that she felt like she was facing. Um, so that, that day, October 4th, was supposed to be her first day in the new office. Now, for whatever reasons, um, you know, I don't know, her old office decided to um, call in a welfare check on her. So um, I don't know if you're um, familiar with what a welfare check is, but as specifically for law enforcement, um, but they have a requirement if a person, uh, a law enforcement officer, a police officer, parole officer, whatever, um, is a no call, no show to work. They have, um, I suppose, an obligation to check up on that person. Now, um, I guess the thing that's confusing to me is that there's really no um, protocol as far as how these welfare checks go. So there's no protocol on, you know, you must try and contact uh, emergency contacts. You have to do X, Y, and Z before barging into someone's home. Um, so my brother and I were never called. We were never, you know, told that she didn't show up to work, that no one had heard from her that day. Um, so back to the story, um, they had uh, called for a wel- welfare check on her. And um, Officer um, Cadian is his name, went uh, to her apartment complex and uh, was granted access into her apartment due to, so you know these new, these new doors now and they're making these new complexes, they're all um, fobs, right? The electronic fobs. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they have, they allow the police, um, I guess the police officers or, or you know, the head of police um, in those towns to have a master fob to every door. So they can open, really? yes, they can open oh, any, wow. and it's the, the deadbolt too. So you can, the way it works with the apartment doors is you walk into your apartment, use your own fob to open the door, you go in, you lock your door, and then you deadbolt it, right? Right. The police officers have a fob that allows you, allows them to open that deadlock. Um, so that's what happened. He used his fob to open the deadlock, and, um, you know, the rest is... Um, only his story now but from what um i'm aware of he uh entered her apartment um you know she wasn't in sight there was another closed door that was her bedroom door um he opened the bedroom door and um my mom was sleeping in her bed and um i'm sorry it's a little hard um so she was she was sleeping and uh, according to his account um, she reached for her service weapon and, um, according to him, I, I'm going to keep saying that because I don't believe his story, but, um, according to him aimed, uh, aimed a shot at him and then he fired back. Um, now we had our own independent investigator, um, actually di- uh, Dr. Michael Bodden, who's the same, um, pathologist who did, um, George Floyd's, um, independent autopsy. Okay. Um, he, um, you know, he, he did his own um, independent investigation and his findings were that her weapon was never pointed at him. There was one shot fired from her service weapon in the opposite direction of him. So, um, you know, you take that, whatever you. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Right. 
so um yeah that's that's the story she was shot three times um once in the arm once in the abdomen and once in the head um and just a, a little um after the fact so he immediately called for backup for his his own from his own department instead of calling for an ambulance my mother was still alive at the time um he then proceeded to handcuff her like she was a criminal and then called the ambulance which took 10 minutes to come so in that 10 minutes where he had the you know the time to call his his supervisors and to handcuff her she could have been saved mm-hmm. there was actually there's actually reports of an ambulance being across the street from where where her um her building was so they could have gotten there in minutes um but yeah that's that's the story so um first Thank you for explaining the story because I am even over here um, tearing up at the details. So I know it could be hard, like re- yeah. retelling the story every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate you for your willingness to do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I also, of course, want to give you my condolences on the loss of your mother, especially it being one that should have never happened. Right. Thank you. Um wholeheartedly agree with you when you say you know his account because like you said I don't believe that side of the the story right right it's just amazing to me how how a an officer can go into another officer's bedroom and um feel feel threatened yeah you know he knew that she was a parole officer beforehand and he knew that she was um completely licensed to her weapon um so I i I, I believe he felt threatened for other reasons. Right. Of course, because there's, like you said, there's all this prior knowledge. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. your goal is to do a wellness check, meaning that your goal is also to make sure that she's safe. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Whether physically or mentally, the whole purpose of your visit is for safety. Right. Um, but your concern became biased. You know, for his whatever his reasons, which we we know what they are, right. but they became biased as soon as you opened the the door, right? Um, and so, what have been you know some of the things that you and your brother have been um, focusing on and working on to kind of help bring awareness and, and justice for your mom? Um, so I really have to give a shout out to my brother here. Um, my brother's name is Andrew, and he has been wholeheartedly at the front lines of this fight. And I know that that later we're going to talk about um, grief and, um, you know, how I'm handling it. Mm -hmm. But I I will say for him that this fight, this movement is really helping him grieve. Um, He's finding so much strength in getting her name out there and getting the story out there and fighting for justice. And just as much as I am, but he really is like, I'm so very proud of him. But, you know, we've been out here in rallies um, trying to get her name out there. Um, We have a petition on change.org. We're up to about 75,000 signatures right now um, that we're hoping to get the petition onto um, Governor Cuomo's desk um, in order to reopen this investigation. Um, So really right now, our main goal is just exposure, you know, trying to... um, get the story out there because like I've said, and, and my brother has said over and over again, um, there are hundreds and hundreds of stories that nobody hears about because mm-hmm. there's, there's no footage. And we're in yeah. such a, a surveillance state right now um, that 
footage brings outrage, which of course it should, but there are also so many other scenarios that happen that are also outrageous, but you don't hear about them because there's no one there with an iPhone to record it, you know? Right. And all those stories matter. And I think, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because there's a lot of people who feel like some of these things are just happening more often or it's coming back up. But in reality, they never went away. Right, exactly. We just didn't have the technology that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Pull out the phones. Yes. Um, And then, you know, to to talk a little bit about what you said about your brother, Mm -hmm. um, it's great that he's finding so much strength in that because, you know, I think one of the biggest thing um, that people in general struggle with, that I struggle with, you know, my own grief is like, we know there's no magic way to grieve mm-hmm. yeah. right mm-hmm. but we always question like am I doing this right you know right. I mean? am I giving myself enough time am I not talking about it enough in a pop you know or at least remembering the good times or whatever so you know it's also like a self-critical point sometimes like right definitely you know? and I, I struggle with that too because you know like I said my brother is full force going at this and sometimes I feel like I like I just want to hide from it Mm-hmm. for my own sanity, for my own mental health. Um, but then, you know, I find inspiration in him and to keep going forward. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to figure out what what the way, nobody, you know, nobody gives you a handbook on how to grieve, especially mm-hmm. something like this, you know? Yeah, and there's definitely no handbook for what you're going through at all. Right, right, right. There's no handbook on grief in general, but it's definitely not, there's no handbook for any person who's, parent significant other mm-hmm. child was taken away um really just by like a, a racial injustice right so what are some of the things that you've been kind of doing for yourself over the last three years now it's been almost three almost years. three yeah almost three um for me I try and just honor her as much as I can like in my own um like peaceful moments my mom was such a uh a peaceful and spiritual and um, intellectual being that, um, you know, I'm just trying my best to honor her in those moments. Um, I, I have memories of um, childhood and her saying to me, like, uh, and so it's so, I used to yell at her for it because it was, it's so weirdly morbid, <laughs> but she would say like, when I'm gone, you're, you're going to be able to feel me in the wind. And I'd be like, shut up, stop, talk, stop talking like that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's, it's true. I, I really do. I feel her in the wind and, and in the air. And I just try and hold on to those moments because I know that um, even though they're gone, they're not really gone. Right. And, and mm-hmm. we, keep, we keep them alive um, in our actions and in our hearts. So I really just try and take care in the things that matter to her and um cherish those those memories that I have because I do have I have so many so many good ones and that's so beautiful yeah Um, that is really beautiful to be able like you said to feel her in a way Mm -hmm. um and just to be able to find that little piece of something to connect to right like that um and so yeah that's awesome like you said your brother he's like full full force on the front line right yeah he was in You're Minneapolis. <laughs> he was in Minneapolis last weekend. Like he'll be. Oh wow! Yeah, he's gonna go to Ohio. He'll be in D.C. Like the, he's just tra- traveling all over the place. Really, um, you know, fighting the good fight. Do you know when he's scheduled to come to D.C.? I don't, but I will definitely let you know. Yes, definitely let me know because I'll. So what I'll do is I'll add 
the petition that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We'll add that to the show notes. Okay, great. And then we'll also add when he's coming down. Oh, perfect. Um, and I for sure would love to, to come out, um, you know, when he's down here in D.C. That would be awesome. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So I did want to ask you a little bit. So you had mentioned um, that your mom was working for a different department initially, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that, you know, she was leaving that department due to some, her what she felt was harassment. Right. Do you feel that at that point that any of that was possibly any racism in the workplace at that time? Oh, definitely. I mean, my, my mom was the type of person where, um, you know, I was her baby, so she didn't want to worry me. Um, okay. But I yeah. did, I did know about, um, she was facing some, some troubles with her supervisor. Um, you know, it's that whole, um, when, a when a white person is angry, it's one thing, but if a colored person is angry, a person of color is angry. Now you're the loud, angry black woman, you know? Yeah. So if, if she felt like there was something that she was being un- treated unfairly with, she would speak up. And then it would be, oh, now you're being disciplined because you're being uh, excessive and you're being this and you're being that. Meanwhile, she's looking around and saying, well, what about Mary over here? Mary over here did the same thing and she didn't get disciplined. But why am I getting disciplined for speaking up? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't. Ever... I saw, Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I don't know the specifics. I, I really I really don't. Um, but I do know that it, it brought her to a point where she wanted to transfer. And my mom was never the, the person to give up on anything. Yeah. So it, it must have pushed her to a point where she was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't feel like alienated in my own office. And it also just goes to show you like this, how deep um, racism goes mm-hmm. because um even with you just saying that, all I could think about was like, so I'm leaving this place because of harassment mm-hmm. and this retaliation of me advocating for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I get this wellness check done, mm-hmm. it's you are the same people who are, you know, right. calling out this wellness check for me. Exactly. Uh, so all those things become questionable because like, it's like, what? What was the necessity of any of that? Right. And, and as far as um, on paper and, and they were should have been concerned, she was no longer an employee of that office. Yeah. So why are you even concerned about, um, you know, putting in a wellness check for her? So the, the other, um, if you know, you might not know, but, you know, did the new office have any concerns about her not? Um, I'm not sure. What I do know okay. is that, um, so she was supposed to come back to work on that day, October 4th. Um, but I do know that there was some late paperwork coming from her doctor's office, the clearance paperwork, you know, gotcha. um, mm-hmm. it was mailed out or faxed out super late on October 3rd. Um, so I don't know, but I'm under the impression that the, um, her new office wasn't, um, under the, the, the assumption that she was coming into work that day because the paperwork hadn't cleared. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the old office really just kind of took the, it upon themselves. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Issued this wellness check. Yeah. That is so unfortunate because it's like, it just makes you feel like what, you know, what was the motive behind that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and even just considering that, you know, that she had suffered, you know, the harassment, the retaliation and the racism in her previous office. Um, and, you know, it caused me to want to bring up the topics of blue lives matter mm-hmm. with air quotes. Right. Right. <laughs> um, because blue lives aren't, it's not a life. Right. It's a, it's a uniform. Color of a, yeah. It's a color of a uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
if that was the case, your mother would have been part of this blue lives. Right. Exactly. Scenario. Right. She was a, a 20 plus year veteran of, um, the police force and, in you know, in many offices doing many things, but you're still at the end of the day, um, an officer. So, um, when, you know, this whole blue lives matter, um, thing, and when I see it on, on a social media or whatever, it just, it angers me so much because her blue life didn't matter. And why didn't her blue life matter? Well, because she was also a person of color. So that trumped the blue life, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's weird um, because I know I have a, a coworker whose sister works in the police force mm-hmm. and um, she had pulled somebody over before and it, she she's a person of color. The person she pulled over was a person of color. Mm-hmm. And the guy asked her, are you going to, are you going to shoot me? Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah. she was trying to stop and she's like, do you think that like I'm mean, she's like I'm no different than you. Right. Right. And her sentiment though was if I got pulled over and I didn't have this uniform on, I would you know what I mean? Right. You, they would look at me the exact same way. Exactly. Um, but it's it's even worse, you know, hearing about your mom's stories because no, she wasn't dressed in a uniform. Right. But all that prior information still existed. Yes. You're coming from my old office, which means you know exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a police officer. I do have a registered weapon. Mm-hmm. And still, you felt threatened by me. Right. And the question is why? Why Why did you mm-hmm. feel so threatened? Because of the all of the prior information. So it's not like you're going in blind, not not knowing what, what situation you're walking into. I mean, you know that this is an officer and if Blue Lives Matter, then um, you would think that there would be some some care in that. But at the end of the day, the blue life doesn't, doesn't matter um, if, if you are different. Because it's, it's this boys club, you know? It's this, like, out-of-college fraternity that they have, but, and they have these, like, different members who, like, try and wiggle their way in, people of color, but they don't really actually fit in, you know? Mm, okay. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's hard. I have... Um... I have two uncles, actually, who are police officers in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. And one has retired at this point, but they won't really have conversations about it. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, anytime I, I'll try to ask about, you know what I mean? Like, is there any racism that happens to you? Right. You know what I mean? Like, we know it happens in the community, things like that. Mm-hmm. But does it happen to you? And it's like, you can just see the frustration on their face. Right, because they're, they're torn between the... Um, the honor of the, the, the badge, I guess, and yeah. who they are as people, you know? And that's understandable. It must be super difficult, especially for these, these um, Black officers who really, truly want to do mm-hmm. good things in their communities, you know? Yeah, and that's the sad part because there are so many people who are like, I want this to be better for my community. I want to, you know, bring to them someone that looks like them, bring to them someone right. who's from where they're from, you know, to bring some more cultural awareness, mm-hmm. understanding. But then it's like we take on these, we go into this excited and with a mission. Mm-hmm. And then you take on these jobs and then you realize there's this whole other layer. It's like you they I'm pretty sure they know it's there. Right. But they probably don't think that it's as big as it is. Right. So it's like I still don't matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
which I think is so important um, with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's like, Black Lives Matter isn't here to dismantle any other race. Yeah, of course. It's, it's you know, you stand up for yourself and everyone's like, what about me? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. we're not talking about you right now. You're fine where you are. There's nothing happening to you. Right. There's nothing happening to you. Um, what do you think um, are some things that uh, myself and other people could do um, to kind of help, you know, spread your mother's story um, as well as helping just to kind of advocate for maybe even some changes. Um, like you said, just even like the protocol of the wellness checks and things right. like that. Right. Um, so I guess first about, about my mom's story. I mean, I think that social media is such a tool. Um, we do have a, a page at justice for Sandy G um, that we're posting on constantly the new updates about what we're doing, where we'll be. Um, so definitely following that and spreading that message as, as lo- along with the, um, the petition. Um, but I'm sorry, what was the second part? What did you no, say? You're fine. And then are there any other things specifically? Um, cause I know there's a petition to reopen the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we have the Instagram page justice for Sandy G mm-hmm. and I want to add all of these things to the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, is there anything else? Like, what could we do? Like, is there, Oh, right, right. Yeah. Now I got it. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, my biggest, um, I guess call for justice for me would be um, a protocol on what, what a welfare check means and what, um, what, what can people or these officers, what are they allowed to do? Are you allowed to barge into my home because I missed one day of work? Um, So calling your local police office offices and asking them, what is, what is a welfare check? What is your protocol on a welfare check? Um, And, you know, if that isn't up to your standards then call for change in your own communities, because they're they're as far as I'm concerned, or as far, far as I know, there is no there's no guidelines on mm-hmm. on welfare checks. And you know, my my mom is not the only person who has died at the hands of a well uh, a welfare check. Um, you know, people with mental health issues they get welfare checks called upon them. And yeah. you know, if you're having mm-hmm. a schizophrenic episode, and now you're seen as a threat. Um, so, yeah. So we really need to have. Um, you know, maybe social workers, people with um, that kind of background doing these welfare checks instead of armed officers. And that's the, and that's one of the other things too, because, you know, I at one point was, you know, trying to tell people like, oh, you can call for a wellness check. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And our minds were like, there's specific units for that. Right. Um, but even as a whole, when you look at the amount of training that people are supposed to have, it's like, there's no way that this is, um, adequate enough to really focus on trauma-informed care. Right, right. Um, they, their, their training is, is way more focused on, um, you know, weapon skills than it is on how to de-escalate a, a situation. Yeah, because there's no reason why, you know, because there are definitely hundreds of stories of people of color calling for help mm-hmm. and then still losing right. my life in the process. It's like, right. I'm not... And, you know, getting that, like you said, having a better understanding of, like, what is a mental illness? What does it look like? Because if I'm a mm-hmm. schizophrenic, I don't, I don't recognize you as a police officer when you right. grow up. Mm-hmm. Have you um, had, have you and your brother had any conversations so far with anybody about wellness checks? Um, so, yes, we have. Um, there's a little, um, I guess, legal... Um, 
things I can't really talk about yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have we have been talking to um, specifically her union, the union that she was um, involved in, um, who seems to be very much on our side because this could have been any of them. Yeah. Um, so they they have really been um, advocating for us on on that point, which is is good to know. Good. And so it, I want, I definitely now want to learn more about. Um, the wellness check process here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, I'm always advocating for people to ask for this. Like, don't just call 911. But mm-hmm. when you call, you know, say, I want a wellness check. And so just to clarify again for listeners who might not know, um, you know, in this particular um, story with Miss Gar- Ms. Guardiola, she had a wellness check, wellness check called for her because she was, quote unquote, a no call, no show to work. Um but outside of working for the police force, if you ever feel like, you know, you haven't heard from a family member or a friend or they've been making, you know, suicidal posts or text messages or anything like that, typically you can call 911 and request a wellness check um, for police to go out and make sure that everything is okay with this person. Um, uh, great. I think more of a structure when it comes to them yeah. and who, who exactly is doing them definitely does and I I really will um I really do want to like you really have piqued that interest for me now mm-hmm. um simply because we have to use them you know what I mean so I work in outpatient clinics and things like that so sometimes we have to you know call for additional support right um and so it does make me curious now to know like what am I actually asking for Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And it makes me like um, someone like my my mom who and I I don't know there are people like this. I'm sure there are, but other people who have have social work and mental health backgrounds in their education history who are also in law enforcement should be the ones that are doing this these yeah. these welfare checks. Because if if someone like my mom was if the roles were reversed, I I suppose that they would both be alive today. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. So how do you feel like this experience for you has kind of shaped how um, you see law enforcement as a whole? Um, well, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a split mind when it comes to it. Um, my, my mom was a dedicated officer, um, and my father is also a, still an active officer who has um, an incredible history in law enforcement and done great things. So... Um, you know, I, I, I advocate for the police officers who are, are doing the right thing, yeah. you know, and um, it's a slippery slope when you say, um, oh, it was just a bad cop or whatever. It's not just a bad cop. cop. It is a bad system. Don't get me wrong. There are good eggs in that system. Um, but I think the system as a whole needs, needs a, a revamp. It needs a change. I agree with you there. And what would you say are some ways... Um, for us to really kind of support and encourage, especially in today's time, Black police officers or p- police officers of color? Um, I think that um, police officers of color, um, God, I think that they need to be uh, heard more. I, I, I don't know of, of uh, police officers of color that are in these high ranks, I guess I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, that if there was some inclusive in in these high-ranking police 
actors that, that were uh, people of color, um, that we as a community would feel a little safer. I definitely would agree with that. Because I just, you know, and just as the climate continues um, to get worse, or, you know, just kind of where it's been all all summer, mm-hmm. um, it's just kind of like, I just, it's like, what does it feel like to go home? You know what I mean? And go to work every day. Um, does your father mention that to you at all? Like, are there any new stressors for him with all the new cases going on, you know, like with George Floyd and with Brianna and with Ahmad? Um, yes and no. I mean, he did, he does work in a, in a small town in Texas. Um, so he did have to work a few of the protests and for him, they were completely peaceful. You know, he had no troubles at all. Um, and my, my father has the, the, um, I suppose a a little bit of white privilege because he's very light skinned Puerto Rican man, um, with green eyes. So he, he doesn't face as much, uh, persecution as as someone like my mother did who who was very dark-skinned uh puerto rican woman um but as far as what he's told me um you know his his office is doing the best they can to be involved in their community which i really um appreciate from him and i'm proud of him for good and i'm glad that you actually even highlighted um you know a sense of privilege that your dad might have Mm -hmm. Um, because i think that sometimes uh, white people miss that as well. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, they don't even realize that you're treating fair, fair colored, right. fair skin colored people differently than, you know, darker skin colored people. From the, the same exact island, it just, you know, is a different bloodline. And, and he is a, a very light skinned, green eyed man, and he reaps benefits from that. And I'm sure that, you know, I can't speak for my father, but I'm, I'm sure he's. He's faced some things in his career as well. You know, he's a, a Spanish-speaking person, so he has a bit of an accent. Um, so he definitely has faced his his troubles, don't get me wrong, but he does have some privilege. Okay. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you sharing that. Um, and we do, uh, you know, me personally, I continue to, ever since I first, um, you know, got the pleasure to be on the panel with you on mm-hmm. Girl Bow. Yeah. Um, I was on this side of the Zoom even then tearing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've definitely been in my prayer since then. Thank um, you. you know, and I'll continue to pray for you and your brother. And I'm definitely interested, um, you know, when he comes down to D.C. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And so the, the one of the biggest things that I wanted to ask you um, <laughs> is really just, you know, through the course of this, what are the things that you need um you know as far as support from friends and family just to kind of keep your own spirits up during your grief process Mm -hmm. so for me my grieving process I'm just going to go back a little bit um when Mm -hmm. when everything first happened um you know I felt very defeated and and like I wanted to just bury everything and um you know if there's somebody listening who's going through something similar to me or even not similar to me just just facing grief um letting it out is the most one of the most important things for that has helped me um in the beginning i was manifesting my grief uh severely in in physical manifestations so i was having um very severe eczema all over my body um and it's it, it's it's actually insane like you you know wouldn't think that that something like grief would manifest in a physical in a physical yeah. way 
but I had eczema, painful, itchy, scaly eczema all over my body and my face and my hands because I was bottling in all of this grief. Um, so once I, I, you know, I have support, um, from my family and my, and my friends. So once I was able to like unlock the box a little bit and, and my grief came flowing out, um, it really, it really, um, just lifted a weight off my shoulders. Um, so as far as I go, um, you know, just everybody, um, there's been hundreds of thousands of, of comments on the the petition and on the Instagram page and people reaching out. And, you know, you think that those things are like, uh, you know, they don't really matter. She doesn't really need to hear it, but every single message I I do hear and I'm so very grateful for, and that it truly does help, um, in my grieving process. That's awesome. Um, and I'll definitely agree with you on the whole letting it out thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I know when my mom first passed away, Last year, I felt guilty a little bit in the beginning because I was like, I know I'm sad. Why am I not crying as much? Right. Right. Yes. It was mm-hmm. like, I was like, I'm not under the bed. I'm not crying every single day. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? I'm like, it's my mom. What's wrong? You know, what's, Wait, wrong, that was with wrong with me? me? Yeah. Um, But I think I was just in such a a, a power move to like, got to get this done. Got to get this yes. done. Got to plan this. Got to get that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there are days where you don't, you really don't want to do anything, but just kind of like, scream and cry yeah. out loud mm-hmm. and when mm-hmm. it's over you know nothing has changed right you can literally feel the relief that your body has yes yes that's like definitely that. and and like I said you know um for my brother the 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 fight that has has arisen this year because you know this happened in 2017 and we've been we've been out here we've been trying um, you know, using the the quote unquote the right way. You know, getting mm-hmm. getting representation, legal representation, trying to go through um, judges and the court system to try and find some justice, and we weren't really getting anywhere. So, so the the spark that this movement has lit under under my brother, I've seen such a change in him in the in his his grieving. And I commend both of you for that because it takes so much. To just show up on a regular day. Right. Um, so for, you know, you both to be able to show up and actually participate in this fight is such a huge, huge thing. Right. Thank you. So, well, I, you know, I don't, it, you know, it's such a hard topic and I don't, you know, I don't want us to dwell on it. Yeah, that. yeah. But I really do appreciate you speaking with me today. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. us today. Um so everybody, I'm going to get from her the Instagram page, Justice for Sandy G, the petition, all the information on what we can really do to support um, Alicia and her brother and her family as a whole. Right. And and just one more thing I want to say really of quickly. Course. Um, I just I want I hope for everybody out there, if you're if you really feel a, a strong force to get involved in this movement, to look into the smaller stories to look into those, those stories that don't have footage, that didn't make national news, um, because these people's lives mattered too. That's big. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, when we see so many names, it's like... It's like, overwhelming, yeah. It's, yeah. You're like, how? And to know that they're just so, so many. But um, I definitely will take that charge that you mm-hmm. just gave to, like you said, to how do we focus on also the, the stories with no footage? Right. How do we honor those people as well? Mm -hmm. 
did you have any last words for us? Um, no, just thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, of course. It was definitely a story that I really wanted us to get out there once I heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really do appreciate every, you know, Girl Vow for connecting us and, um, you know, every other outlet that, that has reached out to me and to my brother and to my family um, for support. Just, a, just an overall thank you to the world. <laughs> That's so awesome. (laughs) Well, everybody, we appreciate you listening um, to another episode of the Therapy Podcast. And until next time, live well, be well. Bye.